Support comes from Empower Missouri, providing in-person and virtual training to become an advocate for Missourians living in poverty. Registration for Empower Missouri's March 27th Advocacy Day is at empowermissouri.org WOA. From St. Louis Public Radio. This is Politically Speaking. As the COVID-19 pandemic crosses over the 20-month mark of impacting the globe, causing over 700,000 deaths in the United States alone, questions continue over what battling the coronavirus looks like now and what it will look like in the future. On this episode of Politically Speaking, we talk with Don Cariff, director of the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services. Cariff took on the job in September. He talks about the role of public health during the pandemic, as well as some of his goals for the department beyond the coronavirus. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. We have to talk about things that matter to people. I've tried to bring that same aggressive iconoclast style with me to uh, the United States Senate. I think my district is a model for the state. We put Missourians first. You just kind of have to find the common ground with people. I believe that this district deserves someone who represents their values. After I came back to St. Louis, I started thinking that I could have a bigger role on the change that I wanted to make. Welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, State House and Politics reporter Sarah Kellogg. And today we're mixing it up. Joining me is health reporter for St. Louis Public Radio. Sarah Fenton. I am so excited to have you co-hosting with me today. Sarah Squared. Yes, State House Sarah and St. Louis Sarah. Which, and then there's another, oh, slow to Sarah. Slow we can all Sarah. be alliterative. There's just too many. For our listeners, there's too many Sarahs in the office, and now we have to have names. I like that we have our little, like, St. Louis Sarah Statehouse Sarah. I think that's real cute. Yeah. I, I, hope, that's, that. I hope that's what sticks, because I think the initial thing is boring. Yeah, <laughs> I, I definitely want to go for that. But I, I'm super happy to have you on here. And, and we have you on here for a reason, because we're, we're talking about health. And so, you know, I, I guess, you know, I know you've been on the show before, but, you know, kind of what has your focus been lately? I mean, I think the answer is pretty, pretty uh, easy to predict. But, you know, what have you been working on? Well, it's something that I think that we're going to address today, which is sort of, well, for me, it's sort of, I've been covering the coronavirus for what, 20 months now. Mm -hmm. I remember, I think my first story was in either January or February 2020 on the coronavirus. And ever since then, I've been covering it nonstop. And I think what the challenge for so many people right now is figuring out, okay, what now? Um, sort of how do we continue to deal with this? How do we continue as me as a reporter, how do I continue to cover this in a way that's responsible, but isn't just sort of like saying the same things over and over and over and over, like, how do I move forward? And I think a lot of us are thinking like, okay, how do we move forward? What comes next? And that's sort of my, my mindset right now is sort of figuring out how to cover COVID probably for the long term. Like, how do I cover this as as something that will be present at least for a while going forward. You know, I think that's on a lot of people's minds of kind of, you know, there was this first thought of it's going to be done in four months and we're all going to, you know, hunker down in our homes and it's going to be over. And now which like you said, it's been months and months and months. And, and I think that that's a that's kind of the what next question. I think we're going to get some of those questions answered. And joining us via Zoom in his office, he is the director of the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services. Don Kara. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're looking forward to our conversation. If you want, for our listeners, just to introduce yourself, you know, just give us a short bio. 
Yeah, uh, my name is Don Kareth and I am the uh, was appointed the director of the Department of Health and Senior Services on September 1st. Um, prior to coming to Missouri, I was a lifelong Illinois resident, uh, having worked in the public sector for about 35 years. And um, uh, my last stop on my state career in Illinois was the assistant director of the Illinois Department of Public Health. So. Um, I guess a little bit about me, I guess, is that I love public health. I've told people in the past that this is a profession, either you love it or you hate it. And I'm in a camp of I love public health. And that's why after retired from the state of Illinois, I had the opportunity to come back and interview for this position and quickly fell in love that this is something I really wanted to do and uh, extremely anxious to be here. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to addressing some of the public health topics in the state of Missouri. Um, there are a number that we need to address and I'm, I'm ready for the challenge. So let's get to our questions. Beginning this job, you know, still in the middle of the pandemic, you've inherited, like others in different states who have started this job, you know, a health emergency. What has been your approach to tackling it? How is Missouri doing compared to other states? Well, it's kind of hard to assess. You know, it's each state's a little different. Um, you know, it, it depends on your borders. Um, you know, a little bit of the geo uh, economic background. So I, I really don't want to compare ourselves to other states. I mean, really you know, we have to address the issues that are most important to, to uh, Missouri. But uh, how do I approach this? I, I think it's just to come in here and listen to what has occurred in the state, um, to people, you know, meeting with the associations, trying to meet with as many people as possible. Um, I, I guess my leadership style is I just don't run in with the preconceived knowledge and just try to, you know, go without even consulting others. I, I, I need to find out what were the lessons learned, what, what worked, what didn't work. Um, and then hopefully bring forward some um, some techniques or, or some plans that help us uh, get us over the hump from COVID standpoint. And and I guess it's important to point out is that you know my background is not only as public health is also in emergency management. So I, that is a profession where it's about collaborations, working with people to create a to be creative in your problem solving. Um, I think that's what I bring forward here is to working with others and, and trying to collectively come to a solution how we can better protect the citizens of Missouri. And that leads us right into our uh, next question, which is, you know, I'm a health reporter. I look at the vaccination rates every day, sometimes every, you know, multiple times a day. I'm sure you do too. And so what I keep seeing is that Missouri seems to be somewhat stuck around this 50% mark. Um, and we're kind of lagging. We're in the bottom 25% or so of all states in terms of our fully vaccinated rate. Where are you seeing the most resistance here? Um, and have you made any progress in reaching those communities? An important aspect before I answer that question is to understand why vaccinations are so important to continue now. You know, there's so much has been played in the media about the boosters, and 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 it seems like that almost kind of dominates the discussion a little bit. But you know, in Missouri, our plan is is that we still need to get people to get their initial um, vaccinations. I mean, that's that's pretty important. And, and the reason why is that you know, if we were to see a uh, another wave or a, a new surge or a, a new variant for which the vaccine was effective is that Missouri will have a more difficult time than a area of the United States for which there's higher vaccinations, which stands to believe is that if there's less places for the variant to go, 
which means people that are vaccinated and have antibodies to protect themselves, we become more susceptible. So that's why it's important uh, that Missouri continues to move forward. Um, yeah, I, I would love for our rates to be higher. Uh, you know, that, that's certainly is, is, is a major concern, but you know, we have as, as a state and as a country, we've gone from the, the state, the national, the statewide messages. And, and I think that's been effective. It allowed us in Missouri to get up to about 50%. The path forward now is going to start looking at who are those populations that have that we are truly call vaccine resistant or hesitant. I guess best saying is called hesitant. Um, you know, th there are some individuals that are not going to get vaccinated. They have been pretty clear in their opinions that you know they they don't believe in this that that they're not get vaccinated. But I, I believe in Missouri, there's probably 20 to 25, 30 percent of the population are truly what is considered hesitant. It means that they still haven't received the information they need to be able to make that decision about the vaccine. They may have been clouded by some of the inaccuracies in social media or word of mouth or whatever that may be is that, but but I think they're still approachable. And, and we're working on some internally now, some, some data studies looking at who those people are. And it's not a one size fits all. You look at from an urban area compared to a rural area there, you can classify people. It's really interesting. We started taking a map, look, you know, look at the map of Missouri of where these, who these populations are. And, um, you know, it's different areas, some each area of the state, there's, there's different pockets of people that, that we think we can be effective, you know, and just really generally, you know, maybe this involves for us to going through, uh, faith-based institutions, uh, to community groups, um, so, so the message is going to be a little bit more targeted to try to find these hesitant individuals. And, and I also want to point out is that, you know, being still hesitant is not bad. I, 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 I they should, people should not be vilified if they have not been vaccinated. I, I think from our standpoint, at least from my standpoint, is that it's just as a public health system, we just need to be better at getting the correct information out there. So um, I, I have faith in the, uh, citizens of Missouri, I, I believe that we can still get more people vaccinated. And if we could get up to some 75%, you know, people may laugh at me for thinking that it's even possible, but I, I hope so. I hope we can get there. And that means that as a state, we are going to be better prepared so that if there was another variant that came through, uh, that our, our population be much more ready to be able to uh, protect ourselves and, and, and hopefully slow down the spread of any new variant or any type of uh, surge in cases. Yeah, and I think it's clear you said it just now. I know you've said it in the past that there is a faction of Missourians that are just not interested in getting the vaccine, not now, not ever. And so if we, you know, reach, you know, best case scenario in your in your words, it's 75, 80%. If we get, you know, lowballing it, 55, 60, 65%. Where does that take us? Um, how does that change the state's approach to to continuing on dealing with this pandemic? That's a good question. Um, you know, every vaccination we get is a success. And I'm thinking about we're coming up to the Thanksgiving weekend. And what a perfect gift to give the family than for someone to get vaccinated. Yeah, it'd be nice that everyone in that family that gathered together was vaccinated. That certainly that is 
goal. That's what we would love. But, you know, if one person that could have been potentially exposed was vaccinated, you know, that they can prevent an exposure to their entire family. So, yeah, I, I, I think we need to continue on the vaccinations, but I don't think we can discount every single vaccine that is administered. I think every time that we get one more person vaccinated, we have the opportunity to then prevent multiple other subsequent infections from that individual. So, um, yeah, I, I, I just, you know, our, our approach obviously is going to be different. I mean, if, if we still around the 50%, 55% for fully vaccinated, um, you know, we, we still have to, well, I guess we're always going to have our guard up regardless. Um, but I don't know. I, that, that's a good question. I, I think overall, I, I think our approach is still going to be the same. We're still going to move forward. I, I, I think it would be dangerous for a state if we got the 80%, we can say, oh, well, we're, we crossed the finish line and we can really pull back on our, on our uh, preventative measures. I, I, I'm not sure that's, that's appropriate. Um, however, as a public health system, we can start moving in a direction once we got once we start getting the vaccinations higher, where we can start transitioning to maybe COVID being part of our society and, and start moving into dealing with COVID as we do with influenza, we do with other types of, of infectious diseases in our community. So maybe that's where the real change would be is that once we get higher vaccinations, we may be able to move into those scenarios much more quickly. And, and you can look at examples such as in Denmark, Whereas a country, they reached, I believe, 80 to 85% vaccination rate. Well, they've actually reopened up everything. There's no mask requirements, and, and they just treat it as a, um, a, an endemic disease within their society. Um, and I guess that's kind of the goal where we want to go, go to. But you know, until we get the vaccination rates up higher, that um, you know, we'll be a little bit more guarded in our approach. You have given us a perfect segue. You know, I'm interested in... I'm nodding vigorously. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm interested in where we go from here. And, and now you've talked about that a little bit. What does the end of the pandemic look like? You know, do you think it's in sight? Will we all be fighting about mask mandates forever? Well, I, I don't... First of all, I don't know why... Your last statement first is why we fight about mask mandates. I don't know why we fight about mask mandates, because all the science tells you is that mask provides an effective barrier to prevent disease. So... There's no fight on it. I guess if it's philosophical, I'll give you that. But from a science base, there's actually no argument that says that masks are not effective means of preventing disease. And, and you know, really, in this interview, we should take a step back here and look at. It. I think this is a very important point for you and and all the listeners. You know, we went into this. COVID is what they call a novel disease, which means we had never seen it before. And I know in society we we all used to are are used to watching. 30-minute sitcoms where you introduce the problem in 30 minutes and 30 minutes later it's solved. And I think people wanted that for COVID, right? We want to just get it quick, jump in there and just do something magical. And then two weeks later, COVID's over. That's not how it works. This really, our COVID response to the United States represents one of the, the I would say in history, this would down as a major accomplishment for the public health system. So within two years, we took a novel disease we're able to prevent as many illnesses as possible through effective control measures, such as social distancing, wearing masks. Um, you know, in some places we had to shut down some large gatherings. Um, and, and as a public health system, we got us to the point where now that there's vaccines available, 
we got us to, I mean, this is the finish line for us in some ways in public health is that we kept people alive. We kept America going to when there's a point now we have anyone age five and older can't get vaccinated. And that's a huge, and, 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 and I don't know if the media or everyone else is playing it up, but this was a major accomplishment for the public health system of the world. And um, so, so we're at that point now where we have people that can get vaccinated. That, that's where we want to go. And um, so, yeah, that, that's, uh, I'm not sure if I answered your question. I think I got off on a little bit of a tangent, but you know, that, that excites me as a public health person is from the standpoint that this was a, a major accomplishment. So if, if, if people want to bash the politicalization of this whole outbreak, I, go ahead. I, I, I have no time for that, no interest. The bottom line is, is that public health worked work tremendously to get us to the point now where we have vaccines. So now people just have to make that choice is that do you get vaccinated or not? So the inline where we're going now, I, I guess the long way of saying is that I, I, we've only eradicated one disease that's smallpox. Um, that was a major accomplishment that and I'm not sure we're gonna be able to do that again. I, I think from a public health standpoint, I think I'm most interested is that can we get to a point where it is endemic, which means it's in society, but we have the control measures, we have enough people vaccinated where we could limit the, the spread, the impact on society. COVID, you know, who knows where it's going to go? We could have new variants or it could mutate to the point where it does not cause that level of infection. We don't know. Bottom line is that we, with the vaccines now available for everyone age five and up, we have the ability now as a society to take control of this outbreak. Before we didn't have control, we didn't have the tools, we didn't have the vaccine. Now we do. We have control of society. Now, if we elect to uh, not get ourselves vaccinated, that's, that's our choice. But by doing so, we're actually slowing down the, uh, the, public, the end of this, this inline or this endpoint for the outbreak. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. If you have a smart speaker, you have access to the entire world of NPR and St. Louis Public Radio. All the latest news and all the captivating stories. Activate our voices with yours by telling your smart speaker to play St. Louis Public Radio. And we're back on Politically Speaking. I'm Sarah Kellogg. Joining me is my co-host, St. Louis Public Radio, Sarah Fenton, and our guest this week, Director of the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services, Don Cariff. Let's get back into it. We have some more questions. You know, you've said previously that public health is not politics and not wanting to politicize this position. But, you know, in that, that stance in a way is political. You know, I would love to talk about this. Why should public health not be politicized? Well... There's two answers here. One is, is that anything can be politicized from baseball to you name it. Anything can be politicized. I, I, I don't really care. When, when we question the expertise of public health officials, that's, I think, where we cross the line. We have individuals who have been working on the local public health agencies in Missouri for decades. They are true professionals. They have been able to weather many public health emergencies over the years prior to COVID. Their, their honor is un, undeniable. Their expertise is, is very complimentary. They, to question them and their knowledge, uh, I, I think, think that's where the politicalization draws the line. As a society in the United States, it's good to have disagreement. That, that's why we have a political system and, I, and that's, that's what makes our country great. But, but to question people with the expertise that, of their knowledge of the job, I think that's where it crosses the line. 
and that's that's the part that bothers me the most about the politicalization is that allow the experts to do their job. Um, you know, politicalization from a legislative standpoint, that's fine. I mean, if, if you want to enact laws to change processes or whatever you may want to do, that, that's fine. That's, that's how our political system is made in the United States. But the question, public health professionals and their knowledge, I, I think that's where it, it draws the line. And it's not only questioning. It's the hatred. It is the death threats. It is the violent acts against these individuals. Is where we've crossed the line, and that that that's just not, you know. When I started out in public health, you know, I, I never would envision this, and I, I I've, t- I've told this story before. Is that uh, when I was in Illinois, we got a, a real small CDC grant back in the early 2000s for um, to develop, you know, some model pandemic influenza plans, and, and you know, twenty five thousand dollars make we got. I mean, it's just it was just poultry money there to try to develop these model plans for a country, but. You know, we brought together individuals and we planned, we, we did meeting sessions to talk through scenarios. I think if we had had 10,000 meetings, we never would have thought of the, the public distrust in the public health system. I think we came up about every other argument out there. Um, you know, we, we talked through some of the legal aspects, but the, the, the hatred and the trust of public health people is something I don't think I would have ever fathomed that would have taken place in the United States. So. Well, and then how do you build back that trust then? Well, if you ask a great question, you know, there's going to be a day when COVID is not going to be front page news, but we are going to have people that are going to need their normal health screenings. We're going to need women that are going to need mammograms. They're going to need, uh, we're going to need uh, uh, food handling. It's going to be instructions on how to stay safe during the, you know, uh, when there's influenza out there, you know, the, is the public going to trust the public health people again? And I think that worries me more than anything is that, you know, what's the long-term view of of public health after after COVID? Are are people going to regularly uh, believe in in what we say? That as a society, have we become so anti-public health? And and it's just, it's just thinking of others and, and, you know, those are the things that I, it worries me the most. But going forward is that we got to rebuild that that trust. And you know, this may be an odd way of looking at it, but the spotlight's on us. Maybe not for a good reason. And maybe we need to, as a public health system, be more educational. Uh, in the past, decades ago, a good day was the day the media never called us in public health. It's playing under the radar. That's a good day. Maybe that's not a good day anymore. Maybe now that when we have the spotlight, maybe we need to start educating. We need to start educating on obesity rates. We need to start educating that still in Missouri, the number one cause of death is heart disease. What causes heart disease? Well, a major contributor is smoking, tobacco use. We need to start highlighting those during these, these spotlights on public health. So, you know, that, that's kind of where my head is right now, where we're going to go is that take advantage of this opportunity with the spotlight on us to start addressing some of those outcomes and those public health measures to start rebuilding that trust in the public. So what are some public health policies that you were looking to accomplish, you know, with the help from the legislature in the upcoming session? Prevention. Uh, one of the things is that as when coming into this job, I just know that as a state where we are sitting at probably, well, I guess the best way to look at it is that we're holding up every state in the union approximately on every, every reportable uh, health indices in the state from obesity rates to tobacco use. Um, 
I, I think I would like to have given the opportunity this legislative season is really to talk through how we as a state can be more preventative, uh, you know, uh, encouraging exercise among residents, healthy eating, um, and really tackling some of the real issues in Missouri, such as in the Boot Hill, where there's a desert of, of food opportunities and healthcare. Um, how we can start looking at uh, using technologies through distance learning to start bringing healthcare options to citizens of Missouri. I, I think that's what we need to do is get through this COVID and start focusing on how we can prevent disease. Because, you know, I, I, I've said in interviews before is that I've never been a, a person that says, well, bad things are going to happen in public health. My job is just to clean them up. I think we have a real opportunity here in Missouri that for generations to come is to start getting lifestyles that will lead to um, less costly from a healthcare perspective. But, you know, a, a better way of life for Missourians is that very early on is, you know, exercise and nutrition. How many chronic diseases will that prevent from diabetes on down the line? Is that we have an opportunity here that we can, a, a few dollars on the front end, we can prevent illnesses that's going to cost the uh, state of Missouri billions of dollars in years to come because of the, you know, uh, some type of infection or chronic disease occurrence. I mean, speaking of money and dollars, um, where do you envision points of conflict being when you try to present these solutions to the legislature? Well, I, I, I'm not sure. This is my first legislative season uh, here. So um, I, I guess that's those are going to be lessons learned as, as Welcome. I go forward. Welcome. <laughs> um, yeah, muscle. Well, well but, but, you know, the, the, there, there's a very important message here is that um, unlike Illinois, Missouri, there are term limits to individuals. And, you know, one of the things I, I'm going to fall on the sword here a little bit from the standpoint that as public health system, we need to be better educators of the legislature. Um, we can't make this assumption that as many things as legislators are are thrown upon them every day from everything from, you know, they, they get the whole gamut. They, they have to be, they don't have the time to invest in the public health system to know all the aspects of public health. And, and that's kind of our job. So one of the things that I've you know, we've talked internally is that how can we be better educators? We want to be proactive on, you know, situations that may impact a, a uh, legislator's jurisdiction that, um, you know, that we can be out in front of them to educate them on the, those aspects. Uh, yeah, so it, it's for us to be as, as proactive, informative as possible. So I, I think that's, in my eyes, is the, is the, is the, the best start. And then we just... Uh, once I get a season under my belt and uh, then we'll approach it a little differently. I'm guessing my answer next year will be a little bit different than it is right now, but, um, but I, I, I guess I, you know, I, I'm very positive about this. Um, I don't know if I said it earlier is that, you know, I, I retired from the state of Illinois, um, had, had a, a great uh, work schedule with some contractual stuff I was doing. Um, so I'm here in Missouri because of the love of this job. And I really want to help, the citizens of Missouri. I think we can make a difference here. I wouldn't have taken this job if I didn't think, if I thought it was hopeless. Um, I, I've enjoyed uh, working with the governor's office staff. I'm not just telling you that because of they hired me, but I, I really believe the individuals I've worked with, they, they care about people. And uh, that was appealing to me and that's why I, I took the job. And um, I, I really think there's an opportunity here for us and, and I'm up to the challenge. And, and this isn't easy. I, I get it. I've been in the, the director's office in Illinois for a number of years. I, I get what goes on. Um, 
But I, I'm approaching this as, as an opportunity because uh, I love the people and I love the Missourians and want them to have the best, most success they have from a public health standpoint. Um, Mr. Karoff, um, while I have your ear, I'm working on another story and it's sort of very much related to what you've been talking about. So can I ask you a quick question about vaccines? And you've talked about um, eroding public health trust and how you think you're worried that that's going to bleed into other areas of public health. Um, I'm especially interested in the effect on other immunizations. Um, do you anticipate um, trust in immunizations being, I don't know if you want to say permanently changed, but, but changed by the last 18 months, uh, when we look even beyond the COVID vaccine to stuff like, you know, like you said, MMR, flu, where do you think that attitude is coming from? We've already seen in, in Missouri that the, um, uh, that the, the, the uptake of influenza vaccine is lower than we have seen in years past. Now, I, I guess you, um, you really can't count last year because of the pandemic, but, you know, it is a little bit slower pace. It's lagging a little bit. That's a big question. Um, yeah, as a state that we're, we're going to have to go back and kind of take a look at how we do public health. And, you know, I, I think in the past, and I'm just going back in my, my history, is that 10 years, 20 years ago, you know, we as public health people just assume that, well, if there's if there is a need to add a, a vaccination, such as I can think back to the chickenpox and the Aracelovac thing, um, we, uh, uh, you know, we just came out with the information that we, we may have posted you know, the need to vaccinate, but largely it was accepted and it went through. And, and I'm not sure that we as public health did the education like we should have. And I, I think that may be the new era for, because as there's going to be new vaccines that come along. Um, I, I think public health has to be more outgoing. We have to be more involved in the larger community. We can't live in kind of isolation that we just make public health decisions without consulting our, not only those in the public health and healthcare side, but we need to get into the business leaders. We need to get the community leaders. I, I think public health needs to be much more open, uh, inclusive in decision-making. And uh, I, I think that's probably one of the things we're gonna have to figure out as we go down the line with, with vaccinations that we cannot use the old playbook that we're gonna have to go back and, and it's gonna be much more educative on the front end um, so I think that's probably the new era of, of where public health is going and on the vaccination fronts. Thank you so much, Director Kara, for joining us on the podcast. Politically Speaking is a product of St. Louis Public Radio, which is a part of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. You can follow me on Twitter at Sarah K. Kellogg. You can follow Sarah Fenton on Twitter at Petite Smudge. And Director Kara, where can people find you on the Internet where you want to be found? Well, go to our uh, the, the State of Missouri website and uh, uh, please feel free to go. And we have a, a comprehensive dashboard for COVID that individuals can get additional information. So, um, stop by and do a Google search and find anything you can about Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services. Until next time, so long.